Hi everyone, I'm Erin G, and this is Alt Text. This week, I'm joined by my friend William Johnson. William is the founder of the Vancouver Tech Journal, which he sold to Overstory Media Group in 2020. After the acquisition, William was the managing editor, where he expanded coverage and the Tech Journal team, leading him to most recently being the general manager and publisher of the Tech Journals, which now also includes Victoria and Calgary. Not too long ago, William left Overstory Media Group and is currently a writer and advisor at the intersection of tech and media. In his first post-tech journal missive, William recently shared 11 insights on the state of Vancouver tech, some of which we cover in our conversation. So here's my conversation with William Johnson. William, welcome. I'm excited for our conversation in a professional context. Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, we'll try to be serious today. Well, at least we're part of it. Part of it. Parts, <laughs> moments. Yeah. So you recently published uh, a blog post about um, the state of Vancouver tech. And so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So that post is 11 rough notes on the state of Vancouver tech. Uh, was based off uh, a conversation that happened in the city a couple weeks ago, where we had three local leaders talking about you know what's happening here um, in relation to the markets, in relation to other ecosystems, in relation to America. Um, and there were some really interesting insights that I thought came out of it, and perhaps some controversial points of view. Um, but that post was also sort of a follow-up uh, for me to an article I wrote uh, just this past January. I wrote an article that was sort of like, you know, Vancouver as an ecosystem is really promising and there's a lot of good things happening, but it always feels like it's like also on the cusp of like failing or collapsing. Like there's a lot of good happening at the same time and that's also balanced or you have to hedge that with like, here are all the things that could go wrong and here are all the things that are holding the ecosystem back. And so the recent post was sort of a follow-up to that, but it integrated, sorry, uh, lots of other people's opinions rather than just my own like thoughts and musings. And so uh, I'm trying to think, when was it? Maybe early December uh, was where I went to uh, the final Vancouver Tech Journal event of the year, which is, yeah, my for former employer, which is funny, it was my first time going to an event where I was just like a regular community member and that was really exciting. And so I get, you know, I got to hear these different points of views. And so that panel had uh, a marketing leader from the, the biggest tech association in the province uh, that panel had uh, a managing director with one of Canada's biggest banks or biggest bank, RBC. The panel had uh, an entrepreneur and an investor. And the panel had uh, a CEO of an AI company. And it was moderated by someone who works at Boast, which is a company that helps companies get R&D tax credits. Anyway, um, and they covered a, a wide range of topics. The first one was really just, you know, how are companies doing, right? Um and the panel went from to how are companies doing and like, what are some of the lessons from this past year all the way through to um, what are the very specific issues that are holding the ecosystem back from, you know, founder mindset to funding, to talent, to how they compete against other ecosystems, uh, the whole gamut of things. And we could jump into different things. Um, 
I don't know if there's any, yeah. Do you want me to jump in at like anything that I found interesting or because there's like 10 points, right? It's a, it's a lot. We, I don't, <laughs> we, don't have, we don't have the whole, each and each one of the points could be its own blog post, could be its own podcast episode, right? Yeah, I think I'd love to hear more about, you know, a couple of the points that were interesting, but then I'd want to kind of maybe focus more on maybe the criticisms and like where the city can kind of go from here. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I'll, the first thing I'll talk about is, uh, and this is with business, this is with life, which is that um, it's been a challenging year uh, from a business sense, from an economic sense, from a social sense for, for everyone in the world. And one of the major points made at this panel was that the companies and the CEOs who made tougher decisions early on are sort of reaping those rewards right now, right? And so the example I actually used in, in the article I wrote was around General Fusion, their uh, fusion energy startup. Um, they had announced in 2021 that they were opening this $400 million facility near Oxford, England. Um, throughout the last two years when markets have cooled and like the economy's changed, they said, you know what, actually, we're going to put that on hold. We're going to build a facility that's smaller, closer to home in Richmond. And it looks like now that that decision is actually getting them to their goal of commercializing fusion energy faster. So it was something that perhaps they didn't plan, um, but it looks like that those choices that they made um, are going to benefit them in the long run. And something I didn't mention in the post, but I, I think about some of the other companies um, that had to lay off you know, tons of employees. A really well-known company locally is Scientific. They create uh, like a, a platform for creating courses and selling knowledge online. And people will remember that Thinkific IPO'd during like the insane days of 2021 at a billion dollar valuation. And they hired like crazy. Um, they would raise a bunch of money before this IPO. And 2021 was the year sort of when like money stopped making sense for the tech sector. And then unfortunately, they ended that year I think it was like a $30 million loss. Um, and then in, in early in, 20, in 2022, their CEO, Greg Smith, made the difficult decision to cut 100 staff. And that like shocked everyone. But the, And that was sort of like the first round of layoffs before an insane run of CEOs laying off, you know, 10 to 30% of employees. But think of it was sort of like the first ones to do it. Or, or Greg was sort of the first one to do it. And then it was, then it was Shopify, then it was Dooley, then it was Article. Uh, there was like a, a, a ton of companies locally who laid off a uh, number of employees. And then then almost a year later, they got laid off another 76 people, which, which shocked a lot of people again. Um, but really, like at the end of the day, it's business that needs to make money, um, it needs to be sustainable. And they were sort of early and they were doing this to push for profitability. They're like, we need to make money, right? Of course. And just this past quarter... Uh, they had a target of reaching profitability, like positive EBITDA, uh, in two quarters from now. And just this past quarter, we just ended the third quarter. They said, actually, we got here two quarters early. They wouldn't have done that, obviously, if, if they hadn't made these decisions decisions a long time ago. And so that's another example of like, like really tough decisions and really hard choices that needed to be made where um, now the company are like reaping those like benefits. They're like, you know what, we've, we've done what we said we needed to do. Um, and so that was sort of like, I guess that was probably a learning, right? There were so many companies that sort of hired like crazy when they perhaps didn't need to. And there were sort of people like hoarding talent. And then there was a big reset that happened over the past year. Um, and the companies that I guess were decisive or really thoughtful in what they were doing, I'd say like 18 months ago, um, they're seeing the benefits now. So that was like one of the big, big takeaways. And there were many other examples. 
Um, that was interesting. And then the other, like, another key point on that was that like Devin Thompson, the managing director at RBCX, something she talked a lot about was like, it's really hard, uh, but this is like a, a correction that was needed, right? Uh, there were so many founders that who had been building companies post 2008, uh, interest rates have been low forever. Um, again, like I say, the money was like free. It wasn't free, but yeah, when interest rates are almost zero, then it almost is. And so there were a lot of, there was a whole generation of founders that didn't know what it was like to have to work really hard to like raise money from a VC. Like, every, you know what I mean? There was, there was so much like founder arrogance in like 2021, you know, commanding these insane valuations that many companies will never grow into now. Right. And again, that's what all this hiring was for. Right. Um, and so Dev was talking about how like right now, this has been a welcome correction. It sort of shocked a lot of people for a bit. Uh, but now in hindsight, it's like, this is what's needed. Uh, founders are getting back to like fundamentals, like the metrics that investors are looking at when they're deciding if they want to invest in a company. Uh, those metrics have shifted from growth at all costs to like, okay, like what's the path to profitability here? Um, how do we know this is going to be a sustainable business? Uh, so that's been a really, really interesting outcome from all of this. And then another key thing just around like funding and growth and like where the potential is, it's not any secret. Well, there's, sorry, there's, there are, there are big companies with strong fundamentals that are like raising money. Like Coho is a fintech company that uh, is going to do like over hundred million in revenue this year. They just raised $80 million at a $800 million valuation. And what was noteworthy about that announcement from the CEO was that he was like, this is the same valuation we had two years ago. And usually as a, as a CEO, you want your valuation to go up, but he was celebrating the fact that, you know what, like we just kept our valuation. We're one of the few companies that have said, you know what, uh, through all this turmoil, we are happy to say we're worth the same as we were two years ago. And that's right. a win for us. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a, I think about this from a writing perspective and I'm sure you probably can relate to this in terms of, you know, making those big tough business decisions like Thinkific did early on in the process, it kind of, they kind of are reaping the rewards now. Whereas those who wanted to wait and see how things might shake out, waited to and put off those hard decisions because they, they wanted to maybe keep their fingers crossed that they wouldn't have to maybe lay people off. And it's like, you know, when you're editing uh, a document and your editor's just like, cut this, cut this, cut this. And you feel kind of personally attacked because like, you're just like, oh, but like, I loved that passage or I love this turn of phrase. And it's kind of like killing your darlings. And so I think about it from like the writer's perspective where, you know, it's making those tough decisions is hard in the moment, but ultimately leads to a better, more coherent, stronger product. Oh, hundred um, percent. You can imagine how attached people are to their businesses, their companies, but not only that, like the people they work with, mm -hmm. that, I can't think of a harder thing than to have to lay someone off. Um, yeah, way harder than cutting a paragraph out of something. But it's funny you bring that up. Like the article that I wrote, it's 11 points. Originally it was going to be 23. Because <laughs> it's 2023, right? I'm like, oh yeah, we'll do 20. And then like, I was like, that's insane. Like it's just not necessary. There aren't even, you know, it was and then like 11 is a random number because I actually cut it to like the actual valuable points. That was hard to be like, you know what? Because then I wanted, then I had 13 <laughs> and then I had to like, and I don't have Kate editing me anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Kate Wilson for listeners, managing editor of the Vancouver Tech Journal, right? And so I had to be like, Will, 
these other what would Kate actors. Wilson do? <laughs> yeah, like or um, or Nathan Cadell, right? With mm-hmm. PG Business, he was the senior editor at the Tech Journals briefly in 2022. Anyway, same thing. He would have just like cut a whole paragraph, and so I had to do that to myself. I had to cut like two sections completely. Well, I mean, like, like in, oh, in yeah. your piece now, like if you had done like like a the the takeaway with like a quick little you know blurb maybe 23 would have been okay but because you went in depth and really kind of were like this is all the things that I know and like here's how it actually fits into the Vancouver context that was not really sustainable totally all right and even our, the article now is still bloated right like you're right each paragraph could be 40 percent of the size but I as you're right writer can't help it can't help it yeah, so, you want to you want to so, show like these are all the things that I know, <laughs> right? And I don't have a job now, so <laughs> I'm like, I gotta, gotta get my fulfillment from from somewhere, right? So, um, but to uh, go back to right the top decisions, uh, some companies are cutting, some are growing. The interesting thing that I think people are seeing is that there are specific verticals that are people are very excited about right now, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, I mean, we've seen that with, you know, yeah, with Web3 over 2021, 2022, and then Mm -hmm. that kind of died out. And then suddenly it was all AI all the time. And now even that's starting to kind of fade away. Yeah, I even think that's like a bit saturated right now. Uh, Really good examples of like, yeah, the contrast. And then there are a few verticals where investors are thinking like, you know, long term, these are areas we need to invest in. And the two that I pointed out are ag tech you know, things related to agriculture and things related to sustainability, right? So the clean tech space. And um, there are a number of like local companies that are really, really exciting in that space. BC's known uh, to have, you know, 40%, I think it's like 40% of Canada's clean tech companies are just in BC, right? And I mean, that's probably for a few reasons, right? Like BC is a very diversified economy. We've got natural resources and we have every other sector as well. And then we're also next door to Alberta, obviously, which has a huge energy industry. And there are many BC companies that are especially serving uh, Alberta companies in terms of helping them decarbonize and, and other things, right? And then there was this, actually there's a whole bunch of companies that I know, like you call clean tech, and it's like, are they clean? Is it or is it like a mining tech company? Mm. But the ultimate outcome of what they do is to help mitigate the effects of uh, mining, right, and its impact on the earth, right? Like there's a company called Ideon, which basically helps you X-ray the ground before you start to to dig, right? And so is, is that a mining tech company? Is that a construction tech company? Mm-hmm. Lot, like some people refer to them as clean tech because again, the the ultimate impact of that is that we're we're not. Yeah, I was, was going to swear, but we're not messing up the ground as much as we would have had we not had this tool to see what's underneath there, right? And that's an interesting one. And then there's there's a company called Forage, for example, that in BC, BC's five hundred million dollar strategic investment fund just invested in uh, Forage, spelled four A G. A bit confusing. Um, they, they help like pick mushrooms like a lot faster, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, than like humans could do it or anything, right? In a, in a more efficient way, in a more sustainable way. So it's like, oh, is that a clean tech company? Is that an egg tech company? Like there are different terms for it. But anyway, companies in that space um, are seeing significant investment. And BC has a lot of them. So that's really promising for Vancouver, for BC, for the ecosystem. And I used to like, and there are, there are investors seeing that too. And they're saying, you know what? Like, let's raise more money from limited partners to invest in these types of companies. And a really good example of a company being that is Active Impact Investments. They just announced a $120 million uh, seed fund. Uh, so that, like very, very early stage fund 
uh, that's going to be specifically focused on clean tech ventures. That's really exciting. They've already raised uh, 70 million of it. So that's really, really significant. There'll be a, a lot more of that. Yeah. And like, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to, I was going to move on, but if you want to continue talking about ag tech and clean tech. Well, I was going to go on and talk a little bit about, well, there's ag tech, clean tech. There's, you know, a lot of uh, funding and deals happening at the earliest stages, even though deal sizes have come down over the past year. Um, but then there's the notion around like, just at the earliest stages, investments in companies aren't really investments in companies. They're investments in people, mm. right? At the, like a pre-seed stage, like where a company like Golden Ventures, um, you, you've had um, Jamie Rosenblatt on from Golden Ventures. Yeah. Like at the, at the stage he's investing in or the stage someone like Chris Newman at Panache, he's a local guy, is investing in. Uh, there might not even, it's, might not be a business. There's no business. It's, it's pre-revenue. It, it's, it, you're investing in an idea and a founder. And something you hear from a lot of founders and uh, at Darius Pollyan, the founder that, an investor who was on the panel that I was at, he talked about was like the best founders going to be invested in regardless, no matter what vertical they're in, um, or what stage their business is in. Uh, the best founders are the ones that are going to get uh, that are going to get capital, and that's an interesting point because, like, in Vancouver for many years, the there was this idea that there wasn't enough like capital here, there wasn't enough money. Like when I moved here in 2015, that was like the most like that was like the biggest issue. It's not enough money. Um, and that I feel like it's like totally disappeared. So the question is like, oh, was there not enough money, or like were founders like not getting enough credit for what they were building? Like, so it's interesting, right? When Christy Clark, the BC Premier, when she was BC Premier, she introduced this thing called the BC Tech Fund. It's a hundred million dollar fund, mm -hmm. uh, which like no one talks about anymore. I don't even know. I should know, but I actually don't know. It made it made some investments. Kensington Capital Partners took over it. No one hears about these investments anymore. So I don't know what that tells you. Uh, but the whole point of that was that we're going to create this fund and then we're going to deploy this into other funds and we're going to increase the total amount of capital that's available in BC um, because founders need money. But like, you don't hear anything about there not being enough money in BC anymore. We'll get to this. But the biggest thing is like, there's not enough talent, mm -hmm. right? Um, but from a money standpoint, the other thing related to founders is that if you're a founder and you can actually... First of all, quickly go back. We go back over the last two years. BC broke records for the amount of BC money they raised through 2021, right? Through yeah. 2022, right? So it's like, okay, so there is money after all. Who knew, right? Um, and so the thinking is like, if you can raise money as a founder in BC or Vancouver, it means your company is good enough to go to raise money in California or New York or Boston or Seattle, oh, right? Like, because Canadian investors... Uh, are, are significantly more risk averse and are looking for like better metrics where if you go to any of these U.S. cities, like the capital pool is just so high and so yeah. robust that uh, if you're a founder who can raise money locally, you can probably go raise money internationally. So a lot of them do anyway. So that's like a really interesting point. Uh, the thing that Adars brought up at the panel was like, he's like, so how do we like keep these, like the best founders here locally? And to be honest, like no one had real answers for that. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think the the point about investments in people and founders is really interesting to think about from a Canadian perspective because you know I think we see it a lot in the states and because we get this weird cult of personality thing like if you think of Sam Bankman-Fried or Adam Newman 
then it's these people who they could be like essentially they these two were snake oil salesmen and just selling like pretend things that were just based on lies <laughs> or erroneous data um and but continued to raise money and we were talking off mic about Adam Newman and his new company mm. and despite him you know completely mismanaging WeWork, he still, um, Andreessen Horowitz still gave him $300 million investment in his new real estate company um, mm -hmm. as, because it's Adam Newman, because he has his quote unquote um, proven record, which I mean, is probably debatable <laughs> given the mm -hmm. state of WeWork right now. Um, yep. But yeah, you really see the cult of personality, whereas Canadians, we're just like, yeah, like you were saying, much more risk averse. And a friend of mine was saying earlier today that he thinks that, you know, there's this, we kind of have, Canadians have this like polite nihilism and, you know, maybe that kind of creeps into these decisions and why we kind of don't get that same cult of personality built around a founder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And again, to be honest, it's like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like the Adam Newman case is a great example of like someone who looks like a whole bunch of other people with money, getting more money from these people, mm -hmm. right? And when we're talking about bets on people, um, again, it's no secret that like people can relate to people who look like them, mm -hmm. right? And so when you're thinking about that, it like raises a question around like, who is, who is getting money in Canada? And then it's like, okay, well, who's giving them the money, mm -hmm. right? What, is that, what does that group of people look like? And it's like no secret that, um, unfortunately, like 90% of investors and partners at firms in, in Canada um, are just like white dudes, like to put it plainly, right? And so that's like something that needs to change, um, not just in Vancouver, though, but yeah. in, in every like community across Canada. Um, and like, it's to be honest, like ba barely any progress is, is being made on that, to be yeah. quite honest, but um hopefully that's like something that will change in the future because again especially when you're investing at early stages when it's a bet on people and not just like financial metrics right um that really really matters like who the people are in the room uh so that that was an interesting thing like that i think about a lot obviously um it actually didn't come from this conversation again the, the conversation that i was at and the post i was writing like you say like could have been much longer but um that's something else to, to consider and a, a, another really interesting point, though, again, when it comes to like who has money, who's investing, um, sometimes that is the outcome of like previous exits and liquidity events. Mm -hmm. So Adarish, who was on the panel, I didn't put this in my article, but he uh, is an angel investor. And interestingly enough, he was a Hootsuite employee. Mm. And so Hootsuite still has not IPO'd or been acquired or anything. So there's all these people with equity in that company that haven't seen like those gains realized ever. However, in tech, there's this thing called secondaries where you can sell your shares right on the secondary market. And so he actually uh, was fortunate enough to actually get some of the, his, his money out of the company, right? And so he's been investing that. Um, but there are a lot of companies um, that have not had a liquidity event. And Adarsh said like, one of the things that holds Vancouver Vancouver's tech ecosystem back is the lack of big exits, mm -hmm. which was an interesting point because it was one that I had just heard two months ago uh, from a guy named Ian Vanagas. He wrote an article basically being like, here's the hidden secret why 
VC startup scene struggles. Maybe said there haven't been all these exits. There are a lot of these like companies that you know are sort of maturing and growing, and they've raised a ton of money, uh, but they haven't exited. And let me just think. Let me just make a note on a piece of paper here. The ones he talked about were uh, well, we talked about Hootsuite already. Uh, I mean, Dapper Labs is a recent example. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who did you say? Clio, Semios, AgTech, Clio's Legal Tech. Sorry, uh, Dooley. Dooley's not that old though. Um, who am I forgetting? I don't know. There's some other ones. And so he was like, oh, bench, bench accounting, sort of, sort of tech, then tech accounting. Um, he said, these companies have raised all this money and they haven't exited. So he was like, theoretically, a company exits and then the founders of that company or the shareholders take that money and then it's often redeployed in the ecosystem, right? It's mm-hmm. like new seed and angel investments, right? Yeah. It's part of the cycle of an ecosystem. And he was saying, there's not enough of that happening here in Vancouver. Well, I mean, and IPOs so, are IPOs are generally down this year comparatively. Yeah, it's anyway. like not happening. Yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, IPOs are like not happening. But even he was like, there's a lack of M and A right in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like a very, um, I what would I call it? like a seductive argument? Except that mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a hundred percent true, right? And this is something that I like. This is <laughs> this is an example of me just writing way too much, <laughs> right? <laughs> And so I was like, ah, like, sorry, Devin Thompson at RB6. She said, you know what? It's it's maybe true, but also there have been some big exits. They're just like very specific industry, the yeah. niche, the niche exits. And maybe they don't have the same impact as other ones if it was just like a, a software company, SaaS startup, right? Right. So it's more correlation, not causation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Right. And so in my article, I'm like, oh, yeah, like we could follow this line of thinking, which is that there aren't that many exits. But then I was like, but wait a minute, actually, here's like 20 of them, (laughs) right? Here, like, here's like a list of 20 big M&A deals over the last few years. So I'm like, there there are some, Yeah. Um, maybe like this is a unique point in time for Vancouver Tech where like this many in three years, that actually hasn't happened. And we're not going to know the impacts of these deals for like three more years, maybe five years, maybe 10 years. Um, but that's worth considering, right? Like maybe these are, what would you call them? Um, forward-looking indicators, right? Yeah, there's, there actually was a big collection of deals that were, were done over the past three years. And we'll, we'll see that true impact in, you know, maybe five to 10 years from now. So I think that's really, really interesting. Right. From a future, in, a, from, in like futurism, they would call those weak signals. <laughs> weak, weak signal. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, weak signals. Yeah. I might have to add that. <laughs> um, then one of the other points that you had kind of just teased a little bit earlier was the, the lack of talent or inability to retain talent. Um, I mean, there are so many factors, especially for Vancouver, that contribute to this, right? Like cost of living is a huge one. Yeah, there's, um, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of points on there. Um, but you can break talent down in many ways. There's like, I'm a coder, I'm a developer, I'm a marketing professional, I'm whatever, uh, project manager. And then there's like talent from, uh, I'm a, a VP of marketing or a rev- chief revenue officer that has taken a company from $5 million in revenue to $50 million in revenue and actually know how to scale a company. So Vancouver lacks both. Like, that's the thing. Um, there, there aren't enough people that actually work in tech jobs generally, like the, the, the amount of technical talent won't match the demand right over the next decade. 
Um, but at the same time, the, the biggest challenge, I think, for B Vancouver companies or BC companies is that you don't have executives that have like actually scaled a company. Yeah, from like 10 people to 1,000 people. Like that doesn't exist here. Um, so you need to go elsewhere to, to hire those people. And that's... And um, it's super competitive. Exactly. And so COVID, like, there's two things, right? Like COVID kind of like made it easier for BC companies to go to other places. Like the CEO post, I think he's from uh, Boston. Like a lot of the executives um, from Clio, like they, you know, they got them from like Tennessee or San Francisco, like these other cities, right? Um, but what that also means is that companies in those other cities can say, oh, like here's a very smart person in, from BC or or someone at any level, um, what's that? We get a 30% discount on hiring talent from Canada. <laughs> yeah, like we're gonna hire all these people, right? And so you've got early stage companies in BC or companies that aren't like really well-funded, they're in competition with companies all across the world. And sometimes that's good. Uh, sometimes that's, that's, that's challenging because yeah, you're not gonna be able to match the salaries when a company in Seattle, which is just two hours from here, uh, can pay like uh, an engineer double their salary, right? Um, that's a significant challenge that, uh, not just BC, um, but like all Canadian companies deal with, but then I, I think you sort of alluded to this, but like there are other things that are issues in BC, right? Like just living in Vancouver is like hard for everyone. Mm -hmm. Like the cost of living is, is totally insane. Um, so that's been really interesting to see. Um, I, and I've, I've personally seen a lot of people who lived in downtown Vancouver, uh, who, uh, like have you know moved to Squamish so they can afford a house mm -hmm. and, you know, and and or just like have rent that's not you know twenty five hundred dollars a month for a small uh, apartment right um, so we're seeing changes like that and again a lot of that was sort of driven by COVID as well um, I think a lot of people forget like I wrote an article on this too right Shopify announces they were putting an office downtown like we were hiring a thousand people mm -hmm. and then COVID hit and they were like yeah just kidding like never mind yeah. now we actually don't want any offices. Yeah. Right. Um, like where you are in Ottawa. Right. Um, I think there's still a lot of Shopify employees, but they certainly I feel like aren't as much of the city as they were. Right. Oh, no, no. Like they they have a, an office space where people can go to if they want, but it's they've gotten rid of much of their footprint and a lot of their executives have moved to Toronto, Montreal. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Dude, that That's the same sort of thing. Right. Like no one is like bound by their city or their province or wherever. Um, so you're seeing a lot of like talent shifting from cities to other cities or cities to suburbs or to like in BC, I swear there's like a spot in sun on the Sunshine Coast where it's just like Shopify execs actually, they just like own all the property, yeah. <laughs> right? So uh, you're seeing a lot of that as well. And that's interesting because how does that affect some of these other more rural you know, villages and towns? Right, this influx of capital. That's interesting. And again, I don't think we'll know the the effects of that uh, yet, but um, I'm, I'm interested to watch that. Well, yeah, we've talked about that before with all of the people, the Vancouverites decamping to the interior and like what that impact, how that impacts the cost of living there. And, you know, it's, it's good for the economy because they're bringing jobs potentially as founders, you know, and, you know, you, you were doing a lot of work with um, the interior in terms of their tech scene. Um, but yeah, there are all of these like downstream effects that aren't realized until, you know, the medium term, like the five, 10 year timeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was talking to someone in Vancouver 
and they said to me that they find Canadian tech booming right now. Was that like a sentiment you would agree with? Or do you think that, you know, there are a lot of other things that's kind of just like a blanket statement that really makes it easy to, to say? Yeah, well, I am, um, how would I put it? I mean, I think tech is booming in every country. I think um, people are waking up to the fact that there are lots of smart and talented people in Canada. And like some of the smartest people in the world, you know, you know, in AI, for example, are people who came from like Canadian institutions, right? Like a lot of people, I think are just waking up to that, right? Uh, so people are seeing that. Um, like I said, American companies or foreign companies are, are, are noticing that, um, again, like you can hire good people and you can pay less for them. And so they're investing in growing teams across the country. That's another thing. And then the other thing is, is people even within Canada are realizing that all the talent is not concentrated in Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. In fact, there's this whole part of Canada called the Prairies, right? <laughs> where there are like, you know, really exciting companies being built. Like yeah. I love, like I went to a, com a conference two years ago called Uniting the Prairies. It was a mix of tech entrepreneurs and investors and probably like one of my favorite conferences I've ever been to. And I was just like, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I, I, I was like, oh wow, like remarkable founders, entrepreneurs, building in you know Saskatoon and whatnot and I get I just like never been there so that was new to me but um no less ambitious than other parts of Canada right no less smart and and people could people own their homes people are buying homes for four hundred thousand dollars as a Vancouver right that's like can't buy an apartment for that right so that was mm -hmm. interesting so uh, in terms of people moving across the country I think people are also moving to places like the prairies and even Atlantic Canada. And so mm -hmm. taken as a whole, you know, there's smart people building companies and then the distribution of where those people are, I think is, is shifting and spreading it across the country. And so taken together, I think it, uh, it's just like good momentum and it, it, it maybe it appears from the outside or, or forever from wherever, if you're not in the tech sector, that like more is happening, maybe the same amount is happening. Um, it just everyone's perspective is shifting a little bit. So I, I would say that, right? One of the things that we've talked about before are the, kind of the, the systemic barriers that Canadian businesses, particularly, well, startups, whether they're tech or otherwise, face in terms of like raising money. So you went to this thing, they said there are, you know, VCs are a little bit more risk averse. There's all these other factors, talent, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we've also talked about the, the funding from, you know, or the incentives from like government to kind of not scale businesses in the way that maybe they could or ought to be. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting you say that. That was something I cut out of the, the article I wrote. Uh, Cause again, there were just too many points. Um, there was, uh, heated is like a generous term discussion though at the panel around um canada's generous collection of tax credits and you know non-dilutive funding schemes um that canadian companies get to take advantage of um which do support a lot of companies that uh, are successful and scale and create jobs and create ip that canada gets to have um but these grants also and these tax credits also serve to um, prop up a lot of companies um, that maybe shouldn't actually be companies anymore that, you know, maybe should actually just be shut down. 
And so at Darsh, um, it was funny because <laughs> there was a whole conversation on like funding, non-dilutive funding sources, and people were like praising shred tax credits, right? These, these federal tax credits that a lot of companies use. And then the mic went to a Darsh and he was like, I hate all of these tax credits. He's like, these are all bad, essentially. <laughs> Um, which was great because you want a panel where people disagree. Um, and so in Canada, the term is called zombie companies. So these companies that really like aren't really scaling and growing, but they get to take advantage of these like significant you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax credits to go to pay their engineers. They get to take advantage of these, these, these grants. Uh, and that sort of keeps them afloat. And so uh, the contention is that Canada is full of these companies. Um, and this should be a topic for another article or post, which is that like, how do you quantify what that type of company is? And is there any data on this? Like I would, I would that is something that someone needs to investigate. Uh, maybe now that I have all this free time, it's something that I will, I will look into, but that was his point. He's like, he's like, and I even took advantage of this stuff before. He's like, but he's like, I think it's bad actually for the ecosystem as a whole, because it does not yeah founders are not necessarily forced as much to i don't maybe run their business in a way that's more sustainable because they know they have these handouts that's the wrong term but that's how he sort of referred to them Mm -hmm. which i guess aligns pretty closely with this idea that this is one of the worst times to be raising than the dot-com like uh bubble right Mm mm-hmm like mm-hmm. people haven't had to hustle and so they don't necessarily know how to run a lean, uh, effective growing company. Totally. And like, yeah, things have changed fast though. That's the thing, right? Cause 2021, like you were a founder, you had like a bit of growth, you had mm-hmm. a bit of revenue, you were walking into meetings being like, you know, we've got 2 million in ARR and we think we're valued at like, you know, like 25 times that our, our 12 trillion months revenue. And it, it felt uh, like but the then, Vancouver Tech Journal was writing a new article every three weeks about here's a new unicorn. No, it was like every, it was like every week. Almost, I felt like there was a period where it was like four Tuesdays in a row. Yeah. Then it ended up being like seven and seven months, but then it was like nine and nine months. So you're right. It's like, it was once a month, essentially averaged out. Uh, but it, that was totally insane. And you had like really... Yeah, like it was like, you know how there's like um, buyer's market, seller's markets, or like it's like a homeowner's market or a seller's mm-hmm. market or or for employees and employers, right? It's like, yeah. that, that always shifts. It was very much a like a founder's market where a founder could go into a meeting and, de- and declare some outrageous evaluation. And then um, VCs had to take it seriously. Actually, Jamie, one of your past guests, I interviewed him in Vancouver Live and he said that was like one of the years he didn't like being a VC because he... he he didn't necessarily do this, but there was certainly like pressure to abandon like principles and values because you like needed to get a deal done, right? If you didn't like get back to a founder in two days, like Tiger Global was like, here's a gajillion dollars, right? So um, that that has changed now. Now it's like, you know what? Investors are investing less and they're taking much longer to make deals happen. So to your point, yeah, you're running a, a company as a founder, Um like the definition of discipline is like gone back to its original definition, which is like you need to run a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you want to talk about Vancouver or tech? Um, hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've been on here a while. Eh? Yeah, it's oh, fine. Um, is there what are you planning on continuing to write more non-tech? focus or in business focus things 
Yeah, I'm going to keep writing. Um, like I published uh, this article that we were talking about on a, a new personal blog. It's nev.co, N-E-V-V.co. You can put it in show notes or I'll tweet about it, right? And that is code for new company. Um, it's my clever way of saying that, right? Because the VV looks like a W, right? And I'm going to continue to write about that. I run, you know, about Vancouver Tech, about startup culture. I might expand it to other cities. But this is just like a for fun forum for me to share insights and what I'm learning and what I'm seeing. It's kind of like my field notes. Mm. Here's what's out there. Here's what I'm learning. So I'm going to keep doing that. And uh, I, I think like the next place where I'm going to focus more is actually Alberta. There's so much going on there. Um, I think the next thing I want to dig into is like ties that bind these two provinces, right? Like the cultures, people kind of feel like, or it seems like they're very different. I think there's probably, I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of links that people are overlooking and I want to look into that. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, coming from an Ontario perspective, people always combine BC and Alberta as like the West without mm -hmm. recognizing as someone from BC that Alberta and BC are completely different despite being extremely linked. Yeah, no, and that's the thing, right? Like what's the same, what's different? Are the provinces like in competition? Are they not in competition from a, and from like a tech perspective, that's the thing, right? Like culturally, they're definitely different. Like they're definitely different, I would say arguably. Um, but when it comes to people like building different tech ventures, I know a lot of people um actually this is an interesting point right like that have moved from vancouver mm -hmm. to calgary or edmonton just purely or like canmore purely for affordability reasons yep. so like oh i want to buy a house and yep. like the window is closing now yep. where that's even a realistic thing in alberta so that is happening more and more so i think that's really fascinating and then you've got alberta companies that are scaling and growing and they're limited by the same things that vancouver are limited by actually which is that there isn't even enough people locally to like work at these these companies. Mm -hmm. So they're also looking next door and say, okay, like Vancouver's tech scene is a bit more mature. What's is there good talent there that we can sort of um, we can uh, we can hire and work with? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I wonder if you know the the investing philosophies are a little different between the two two places too. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't say so far. I mean, the amount of VC that Alberta companies are attracting is growing. Like, it's growing every year. Actually, that's a really good data point, not about Vancouver, but about Alberta, is that um, 2021 was a year where everyone, the amount of VC money raised increased everywhere. Uh, it decreased basically in every other um, ecosystem except uh, for Alberta, right? Mm -hmm. It's the only ecosystem where uh, investment continued to grow up last year. Right. So that's significant. It's still in its like early stages of, of growing as an ecosystem. Um, so, again, it, it's, it really is something for people in Vancouver and BT to like consider, especially if you're in the tech industry and you, you want to work in tech and you want to go somewhere with like really good growth potential and you want to own a house um, or you want to move over there and you want to know, like, are there jobs and opportunities for me? Like there really are. Um, so I can see a lot more people in Vancouver even looking next door. So you're moving to Alberta is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love visiting Calgary. It's one of my favorite places to visit now, surprisingly. But uh, like I, I wrote an article on, I did a, a 72 hours in Calgary Tech article. And I went there on a th yeah, three-day period that was just random. And I was basically booked morning till I went to sleep uh, meetings and at different events. Um, there was so much happening. Mm -hmm. And so I think that says, that says something. Like I was like, whoa, okay. And, 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 in Calgary, for their part, 
has managed to actually uh, get all three levels of government basically to build this thing called Platform Calgary, which mm. is which is like ground zero for the startup ecosystem, right? Which is something that people in Vancouver have been talking about forever. And it's like, is that even realistic now, given like just real estate and politics? I don't know if that's ever going to happen in the city. That, that'll be like the topic of a whole nother post and, and podcast, right? Kyrie really like figured it out. Uh, I don't know if Vancouver ever will. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, lots to think about. Um, and yeah, so definitely always curious as to how the Vancouver tech scene evolves and matures. You know, I think there's a lot of potential, but the, the pitfalls are very real. So in terms of, you know, this being a follow-up to your January 2023 post, would you say that the January 2023 post was pretty accurate in terms of like what you thought the the next 12 months would be like? Yeah, and I kind of say that in my latest one, which is that I kind of feel like things are the same, which is that Vancouver always feels like it is it looks very promising and at the same time it's very vulnerable. That's that's sort of my point of view and how I feel as someone in the ecosystem. And back then I talked about um, talent being a big issue. It's equally as much of an issue. And I talked about um, uh, like silos and uh, the lack of collaboration. So Vancouver has a million organizations and it always feels like people have their, their elbows out. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, that's still not fixed. Uh, and then another key thing I talked about was like, yeah, who is the person or the entity that is bringing these people together? And I, I still haven't seen it. Some organizations are doing some work, but I, I still haven't seen somebody who really, who really wants to own that yet. Um, so that's what I'll be looking for over the next you know, year. Um, and who knows, maybe that's something I'll work on uh, with all my free time. <laughs> well on that note thank you so much for joining for the chat and i will see you in person real soon thanks susan well that does it for this week a huge thank you to william for chatting with me and i look forward to him coming back sometime in the future i will be back in the new year and in the meantime you can find me on social media and i wish you all a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year